we start a new chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 1. We've entitled it, Slipping Away. Slipping Away. Have you ever felt a relationship start to slip away? You've dated somebody and you start to see a cold shoulder and then eventually they just kind of drift away from you. You used to be close, used to be best friends, and then you stopped talking as much, and now you really only see each other on Facebook. You've seen relationships slip away. Have you ever felt your country is slipping away? You see, it's very easy for a country, it's very easy for a church, it's very easy for a Christian to slip away and not realize it, to find themselves in a different place. And by the way, this is what happens, young people, students, this is what happens in life. Nobody ever starts off at 16 and says, I'm going to be a heroin addict. Nobody ever stands up in kindergarten and says, what do you want to be for the rest of your life? And they make the statement, I want to be homeless. Nobody says in college, I want to be an alcoholic. Nobody does it, but you slowly find the path you were on, the right path, you find yourself slowly slipping away. Today, if you're taking notes in the back of your newsletter, our slipping away thought is this. The greatest spiritual threat is a lack of focus. It's a lack of focus. And I'm going to give you a couple of examples. When Jesus preached in something we call the Beatitudes, he said, the pure in heart will see God. Meaning, those who are right with God have a clearer vision. Clean lives bring clarity. When, when I taught the uh, college class, when we had our, our Saturday night group report, I, I said that, you know, we could come up with a list of what we shouldn't do or should do. And we could come up with examples. And we could all debate these things and go over it. But the problem with it is, one, we, we might focus on something that Jesus really doesn't care that much about. But most importantly, we might miss your thing. And I gave an example of, like, should we, is it okay to steal if your family's poor? Or another example, is it okay, well, we're going to get married anyway, so we're just going to live together. And listen, don't focus on rules. Focus on Jesus. See, as soon as you start focusing on rules, because here's the problem. I can't come up with enough rules to help you every week. We can't go over, okay, let's go over rule one. We've now added five more, so we're up to 3,413. I can't give you all of that. But if you focus on Jesus, the minute you do, the fog of indecision starts to melt away. And you start to see very clearly the right and the wrong thing to do. You see, we get pulled offside so easily. Sometimes there are pet issues. Sometimes there's just something, well, we really care about this, and the church should be really focused on this. And sometimes it's just our own past. You know, this was a struggle for me, and so we should really focus on this. And we get pulled off, listen, the focus of Oak and Woods is not a particular sin. It's not even a particular book of the Bible, even though we've been in 1 Samuel for a long time. The focus of Oak and Woods is not on a set of rules. The focus of Oak and Woods is on Jesus. Amen. I, I don't care how you vote. I'm not asking you to change anything about your morality or anything else. If you focus on Jesus, all those moral issues will fall into place. All those things that you've had problems with, all those indecisions, clarity begins to happen. You see, in 1 Samuel 21, there's a threat to David. He is not yet king. God said he was going to be king, but he's not. The greatest threat to David's becoming king is not Saul, who is king now, who's trying to kill him. The greatest threat is David's spiritual life becoming a casualty to expediency. I know those are big words. Go home and look them up. Use your phone right now. You're pretending to 
read your Bible, but you're playing the game. I know that. <laughs> Use your phone up now and look up expediency. The greatest threat to David's spiritual life is his spiritual life becoming a casualty to expediency. We're going to break this chapter down into three parts and four messages. And the three parts are this. Slipping away in the right place. And then in two weeks, we'll look at slipping away in the wrong place. And lastly, we'll finish up this chapter in slipping away in fear. With David's life as an example, we're going to look at just one verse here. And we will end up in Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to look at one verse in 1 Samuel 21. We're going to look at spiritually slipping away here in verse 1. Follow me. Then came David to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David. He was afraid because he knew Saul was trying to kill David. If I help this guy out, Saul might try to kill me. And he said unto him, Why art thou alone and no man with thee? Now, okay, you read over that and, and you're going to miss some important things here. Where is Nob? What a great city. What a Nob. What, what a great name for a city. Where is Nob? Nob is about a mile northeast outside of Jerusalem. And it literally means the city of the priest. We've seen before in previous chapters, Nob is sort of like a seminary town. It's a place where priests and young prophets and young men of God get training. Well, then who is Ahimelech? Ahimelech is the great-grandson of Eli, the former high priest. Those of you who were here like 20 years ago when we began this first Samuel, those of you here when we began first Samuel, you remember Eli, the high priest. Well, Put down this verse in, next to your Bible, verse 1. 1 Samuel 2, 30-36. 1 Samuel chapter 2, 30-36. And what happened then? Well, what happened then is that Eli's descendants were disqualified from being priests. All the way back in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, Eli's descendants, God said, you are disqualified from how you acted and how you conducted yourself. Your group and your ancestors can no longer be priests. But yet, who is David's priest here that he goes to? He is a great-grandson, a direct descendant, violating God's word, a direct descendant from Eli. Here he has a king, Saul, who has been rejected by God, and a priest who has been disqualified from God. First warning sign of a spiritual life slipping away. We're only going to hit one today. Is this number one? It has leadership that is decaying. Leadership that is decaying. How can David be a godly man when his king is rejected by God and his spiritual leader has been disqualified by God? How can a nation or a church thrive or a family thrive when their spiritual leaders are dying and decaying from within? Now, I want to point something out. David is in despair. He's just kind of fearing for his life. He's, you know, just upset with what Saul is doing and Jonathan. He's missing Jonathan, his friend. He's in complete despair. What does he do? He goes to the man of God for help. I want to point something out on your newsletter. My name is on the top right of it, and that is my phone number. If you are finding yourself in a place, I've had people call me at 3 at night, and they're kind of thinking of making this decision. Please don't. You've got to talk with them. Whether it be you're thinking of doing something horrible to yourself, or whether you're thinking about leaving your wife, or any, I would like you to know that you have an opportunity to contact me anytime you can. I may not answer immediately, uh, but with six kids, I look for any opportunity to get out of the house. <laughs> um, 
Scripture says to you, you did not hire me. I have not worked as your pastor. You called me. Can I also say this? I'll be to anybody in here who's really pastor. I'll be anybody in this room spiritual leader. But very few people really have a pastor. And it's not because the pastor won't. It's because you don't want anybody to put a thorn in your life. You don't want anybody to say something to you or anybody to rebuke you. You don't want anybody to have that type of closeness with you. I feel sorry for you if you don't have a spiritual leader. I am here today because I have had multiple spiritual leaders in my life, people that I can count on. Men of God, my father, my grandfather, deacons in my church growing up, people that I can depend on. Because I, when times of struggle and stress, I ran to the man of God, and he never let me down. Listen, you need a spiritual leader in your life. Amen. David goes to the priest. That's what he's supposed to do. He's struggling emotionally. He's not sure what to do. Do I get crazy? What, what do I do? And he goes to the priest. But yeah, here he is. Disqualified king, disgraced priest. I'm going to say this about leadership. I'm going to give you three things about leadership. First of all, every nation has leadership. Every nation has leadership. <clears throat> How can America sing God bless America and expect God to bless America when America's leaders blaspheme his name? Amen? Amen. Now I'm going to say something. I said this in 1998, and you remember what was going on in the White House. I'm not going to bring it back now. But in 1998, I said from a pulpit, I am glad our economy is doing well, and I'm especially glad that the American automobile industry is doing well. But the President of the United States needs to do better, and needs to set a moral example. 20 years later, 2018, I will say this. I am glad the economy is doing well. I am glad the American automobile industry is doing well. I am a proud American automobile owner. If you love Jesus, you drive an American car. If you brought a foreign car to the parking lot, we're towing it right now. <laughs> no, we're not. We're just keying it. But I will say this in 2018. The President of the United States needs to do better. Now, I'll say this. I got more amens in 1998. Amen. The President of the United States can set a standard. And in 1998, the President of the United States lowered some standards greatly. And I want the President of the United States today to set a standard for our young people, to set a standard for decency, to set a standard of being faithful to his wife. How can America be blessed by God when we have leadership that is decaying from the faith? All right, we're all friends still? No matter how you know we're all friends. Secondly, Every home has a leader. Dad, that is you. Dad, every boy and every girl should be proud of you. Should be proud of how you conduct yourself in business. Should be proud of how you conduct yourself and how you take care of their, their mom. Listen, if you're here and you have a teenager and you're a dad, they should not like you. If they like you, you're doing something wrong. Listen, I'm dead serious. If they like you, you're doing something wrong. Your children do not need friends. They have plenty of friends. Friends come and go, and friends never stop them from doing what they want. What your children need is fathers. Amen. 
I've instructed my son at my funeral. Sometimes I think he's like, is he getting closer? <laughs> I've instructed my son at my funeral to say three things about Nate. You know what they are. We must do this. My dad loved Jesus. My dad loved my mom. And my dad loved the Pittsburgh Steelers. Just not always in that order. And Nate, add one more. Look at me. My dad loved his mom. Add that, since she's here. I don't, listen, I don't care if my kids like me. I'm doing a pretty good job at that. But I want my kids to be able to say, my dad never cheated on his, my mom. My dad never came home drunk. My dad never squandered money on gambling. My dad was faithful to his family. And my dad lived what he said from the pulpit at home. <coughs> Sir, you were the leader. If I could get every dad, every man in America to follow this principle, it would change our nation drastically. You know what? It would lower your tax bill. Because we pay taxes to take care of people because fathers don't do what they're supposed to do. Number three, every church has a lead. That lead is the pastor. And that lead is me. And as a pastor, I hope, I hope I lead you by example. I hope you see the example. We have a beautiful building here. Yeah, one amen. <laughs> and glass. We have a beautiful building, amen. Right? Aren't you glad for air conditioning? Yeah. I put it on Facebook yesterday. Free air conditioning, 9 30 and 11. Some of you saw that. I thought it was funny. Some of you didn't. But anyway, we have a beautiful building. I don't want us to build beautiful buildings. I want us to invest in people. What that means is sometimes loving people who don't look like us from skin color to moral issues to things they struggle with, loving people who are drug addicts to loving people who are bank executives. What that looks like, it means surrendering your life to do whatever Jesus might need you to do, to love somebody, to share Jesus with them. Everything we do in this church, there's nothing more than an excuse but to share Jesus with somebody. But I'll ask you this question. How can a church, excuse me, how can David expect to thrive spiritually when his leaders are decaying? Young people, Get this. You might not have a great dad. I'm sorry. You might not have had a great mom. You might not have had, been given a great spiritual example in your life. But ultimately, it is your responsibility. No matter what your mom did, no matter what the president did or the governor, no matter what that police officer did, no matter what that teacher said, no matter how that boss treated you in your life, ultimately, what it all comes down to is that you are responsible for your own spiritual and life's condition. It's great when we have stepping stones. It's great when we have great examples. I'm glad to have the mother that I had. She's insane, but I'm glad to have her. <laughs> this lady right here has never been in a movie theater. Never. Never would allow me to go. Still don't go. But anyway... <laughs> but I had great examples growing up. I had a dad who had strict rules, but was not a hypocrite. And I had the greatest thing I say about my dad. My dad loved Jesus. My dad loved my mom. Young people, no matter what example you have, ultimately, 
how can David do it? That's not what, that's that's impossible, Pastor. We know you did exactly what Jesus did, or what David did. You don't have good leadership. You don't have good spiritual leadership. You know what you do? Ultimately, the key is keeping your eye on the ultimate leader, Jesus Christ. I don't think it's a coincidence here. But what does David need? David needs a king, and David needs a priest. And he needs both of them that he can count on. For us today, that is Jesus. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to talk about something for, as we wrap this up. About something that I'm going to think that about 50% of you in here have never heard. Now normally when a pastor or a preacher says that, what they're about to teach you is heresy. As I had a, theolo a theology professor once, and he said, Joe, if you ever discover anything new, it's heresy. Because people have been looking at this stuff for thousands of years. You're not going to be that smart and come up with something new. What I'm about to tell you, though, is mainstream Orthodox Christianity. The reality is you probably have never been taught it. Hebrews chapter 7. If you are here today and you know Christ is your personal Savior, say amen. amen. Jesus is your high priest. But is he your king? He is our high priest as we turn over to Hebrews chapter 7. We meet a man, an amazing man, and his name is Melchizedek. Now here's the interesting thing. We first meet Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14. In Genesis chapter 14, Abraham has this great victory, and he tithes to Melchizedek. If anyone ever tells you tithing is under the law, and I don't have to tithe now because I'm under grace, remember this. Abraham did not live under the law. The law happens at Moses. Abraham lived under grace just like we live under grace too. Tithing is a grace, not an Old Testament law period. Anyways, that advertisement to give is right there. But when Abraham comes out, Melchizedek brings two things to him. He brings bread and wine. Okay, if you're a Christian and you've been in church long enough, and you were here just last month when we did the Lord's Supper, when you hear these titles of grape juice, wine, and bread, the first thing that should come to your mind is the Lord's Supper, communion. It's not a coincidence that Melchizedek comes out and meets Abraham, and he brings him the two symbols of the cross, the bread, the body of Christ, the drink, the blood of Jesus Christ. Not a coincidence that Melchizedek does that. So who is Melchizedek? Well, a bunch of facts about him. And I realized at 9.30 I'm aging is too small. But let's listen to this. Check out this dude called Melchizedek. All right? Listen to him. He is the king of Salem. Salem is another name for Jerusalem. So he's the king of Jerusalem. Man, you don't have to know your Bible to know Jerusalem's important. You just have to pay attention to the news. So this guy is the king of Jerusalem. His name means the king of righteousness. He is a priest of the Most High God. Now check this out. He has no father or mother. Anyone in here not have a biological mother? Okay, this is the test. Listen, when the AI robots take over, that's the test. We'll do that as we say, anybody in here not have a biological mother, if someone raises their hand, we kill them because they're a cyborg, right? And if we've all learned anything from Terminator, don't trust cyborgs. Okay. But he has no mother, no father. That's interesting. He has no descendants. It also says about him, he has no beginning or end to his life. Now, if you know your Bible, been in church long enough, you know in Revelation, particularly in other passages, Jesus is called, Jesus is? Jesus is called Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. 
Melchizedek has no mom or dad. Melchizedek has no beginning, and he has no ending. Jesus is a priest, not in the order of the Jewish priest after Aaron, but after Melchizedek. So stay with me. Every Old Testament priest started from Aaron. Aaron is in the tribe of Levi. They're called Levites, okay? You know Aaron is Moses' brother. Remember, he's born with the rod. Check out Exodus. There's a whole book about the story, okay? But Moses' brother Aaron, he is the one that began what we call the Levitical, because they're Levites, the Levitical priesthood. So every priest, even Ahimelech here, even Eli, every priest in the Old Testament is a Levite after the order of Aaron. We call them Levitical priests. Aaron started that priest order, and they are a priest after that order. By the way, that's one of the reasons why today that Israel doesn't do sacrifices, because they don't know who's in what tribe, and they don't know who's a Levite and who's not. In order to be a priest, you have to be a Levite, and you have to be a descendant of Aaron, and they can't figure that out anymore. All right? So every priest comes after Aaron, a Levitical priest, not Jesus. Jesus comes after this guy by the name of Melchizedek. Jesus is your priest. If you're here and you're saved, he's your priest. Some religious groups have priests and they call men priests, and that man is supposed to be your go-between between you and God and things like that. I'm not trying to badmouth any other group, but the Bible says very clearly Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is our priest. If you're here today and you're saved, you can go right into the throne room of God because of your priest, because of Jesus. If you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, what are you waiting for? Today's the day you're saved. But Jesus comes after the order of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek has all these crazy things. I would like to suggest to you, this might be new to you, but this is not unorthodox Christianity. I would like to suggest to you this fact. Throw it up here, Tammy. That only Jesus, only Jesus could be holy enough to begin a priesthood he could follow. Jesus is Melchizedek. He is the pre-incarnate Christ. Now, stay with me here, okay? You know carne. If you've ever gone to a Mexican restaurant, there's chili con carne or carne. Carne is a word that means flesh. So when I say pre-incarnate, it means it's Jesus pre-flesh. He took on flesh at Bethlehem. The Christmas story, the wise men. Uh, Santa Claus, no, that's not in there. But anyway, but the, the Bethlehem story, that's pre-incarnate. That's what that big word means. Pre-incarnate. Jesus did not begin at Bethlehem. Jesus is part of the Trinity. He is the second part of the Trinity. He always was the same. Jesus Christ today, yesterday, today, the same forever. But at Bethlehem, he came carnate, incarnate. He took on flesh and Bethlehem. But where was Jesus before Bethlehem? I mean, check out your Bible. There's like over half of it to the left of Bethlehem. Where was Jesus? Well, sometimes he's called the angel of the Lord. He appeared pre-incarnate, pre-flesh, before. Melchizedek is Jesus. In Genesis chapter 14, Abraham goes to a guy who's Alpha and Omega. He goes to a guy who's the king of Jerusalem. He goes to a guy who is God's most high priest. He goes to a guy who is this high priest, this person without a mother, without a father, without a beginning, without an end. Melchizedek that Abraham meets is Jesus, just Jesus before Bethlehem. What's mind-blowing about that? Because Jesus couldn't be an order of Aaron because Aaron was a sinful man. Only Jesus could start the order of priesthood, and he is a 
get this too. If you're here and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, Second Peter tells us you're part of a royal priesthood. If you know Christ as your personal Savior, you too are a priest. But don't go buy a toddler. <laughs> don't think you can do clergy parking at the hospital. That's reserved for me. Because right? I'm so precious I can't walk far. But anyway, that's not what it means. You are a priest. Not after the order of Aaron or some man or some denomination or some church. You are a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Especially why would you go through all that? Why is it so important? Because this, these type of things just point to me that the Bible is real. Think about this. The Apostle Paul is writing around 65 AD here. Moses is writing you know, 2000 plus BC. Thousands of years separated. Moses is writing Genesis. Paul is writing Hebrews. Again, it all fits perfectly together under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If we were making this up, we would never think about that. We would just, oh, Jesus is a priest after, after Aaron. But there Jesus is in Genesis chapter 14 as Melchizedek, the king of Salem, a kingly royal priest because Jesus is our king and priest. Amen. Now look at Hebrews chapter 7. Let's just, we're just going to read this passage here. Sometimes I like to do this. Just read scripture and let the word of God roll over you. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 21. For those priests were made without an oath. But this was an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety, a better testimony, than his old New Testament. And they were truly were made priests, because they were not suffered to continue by reasons of death. But this man, because he continued ever, ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood, wherefore he is able to save unto the uttermost that come unto him, seeing he ever liveth and maketh intercessions for him. Jesus is our high priest. He is my advocate. He goes before the Father. He represents me before God. Verse 26. For such a high priest became us, who is a holy, harmless, undefiled, separated from sinners, and much higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those priests to offer sacrifice for his own sins, but then for the people's. Listen to this. For this he did once when he offered up himself. The Old Testament priests would daily offer a sacrifice for sin, and they would burn it, and people would see it either in the tabernacle or in the temple, and they would see that smoke going up, and they would all get the priest is offering sin, uh, sacrifice for our sin, and by faith they would believe that that's what God was doing, and that God was going to represent somebody. And that Old Testament priest, before he could ever offer a sacrifice, would have to first offer a sacrifice for himself because he's a sinner, and how can a sinner go into the presence of God? He'd offer a sacrifice, then he does it. Hebrews says it there. Jesus didn't have to do that because he was sinless. He was the second part of the Trinity. He was God. And when he offered a sacrifice, he didn't do it daily, but he did it once upon the cross for your sin and for mine. Amen. Man, that is great. No longer do we need a human, a flawed human. By the way, how many humans are flawed? All of them. No longer do we need a human to go between us and God. We have a priest. You see, David didn't have that, but you need it. Christian, Tammy, put an air on. I need to talk. I don't know if it's like a great preaching or not. If you're here today and you know Jesus as your personal Savior, you have a high priest in Jesus. Say amen. Amen. But believer, as we wrap this up, I said it's one of the best sounds in the world right now. Believer, as we wrap this up, Jesus is your priest. But is he your king? Jesus isn't just a priest, just like Melchizedek wasn't just a priest. 
Jesus is a royal high priest. And I'd like to ask you this. Can Jesus be your priest and not be your king? People have debated this for centuries. Someone said, you're not saved if that's your case. How is that possible? But what I have noticed this is when you remove the authority of Jesus, there's two things that happen. When you remove the authority of Jesus, you begin to accept evil. And number two, we die. Think of it as a country. We have walked away from Jesus, and we just accept murder. We accept rape. It's not all the pastor Steve. We don't really. You, you got to rape somebody five years, six years. We accept somebody taking the life of an unborn child and an eight-month pregnant. We accept, listen, if, if, if America doesn't change, we will go the way of Europe, and eventually we will start killing the elderly and the mentally and physically disabled because they cost too much. When you walk away from Jesus, life gets cheap. And as a country, we have walked away from it. And I'll just ask you this, ladies, ladies alone, do you feel safer now than you did 20 years ago? 50 years ago? There's some of you right now, you're carrying a gun. I hope we're friends. But I'll be honest with you, just personally, this is my opinion. If, you're, if I was a lady, I'd carry a gun too. Because it's dangerous to be a female today in this world. Walking through a parking lot, walking anywhere, you have no idea what's, you know what happens? As America, we walked away from Jesus and we didn't elevate women. We made, we lowered women and we made women on the same standard as men. And now we, listen, it used to be don't touch a girl, don't get a girl. Oh no, we've, we've, we've elevated women to the same standard as men and now men are hitting women. Secondly, you see this in the church. They deny Jesus. They deny Jesus as deity. Everything I said about Jesus is deity. Well, there's some better explanations. Jesus was just a good man. They deny that, and then they start to deny purity, personal holiness. They never call any to repent, because if Jesus isn't God, who are you repenting to? And evil takes over, and you have a dead church. You know what? You see it in a believer. You start to deny Jesus' authority in your life, and you start to accept sinful lifestyles. You start to accept sin in your life. And, well, it's not that bad. It's not as bitter as it used to be. You know, Pastor Steve, time has changed. All right, that's fine. Time has changed and America has changed. But I'll tell you something. God's standards haven't changed. Now, I'm glad dress has changed. Normally, I don't wear a suit at this during this service. Don't listen to that. But normally, I don't wear a suit at this service. But I'm glad styles of dress have changed. I'm glad there's air conditioning. I'm glad we have padded chairs and everything else like that. But Jesus' basic standards for morality and decency have not changed. Love your neighbor has not expired. But here's the lesson. We go through all this time. We have a world with unqualified leaders. We have a world of dying spiritually. What do we do? Keep your focus on Jesus. Men will let you down. If you read the news, you'll be depressed. Stop watching the local news. Do something different with your time. But if you keep your eyes on our royal high priest, he will keep you from slipping away. But just a little test. How do you know if Jesus is your priest and king? How do you know if Jesus is your priest? I'm going to end this. I'm not going to go very long. So some of you go, oh my gosh, he's starting again. No. Two things. Number one, how do you know if Jesus is your priest and king? He has authority in my life. He has authority in my life. Uh, when we were in Texas, um, I was a, a teacher and a coach at a very big Christian school. We were an awesome Christian school. And I coached uh, junior high baseball. And we didn't have our own field, so we used uh, Richardson. That's the town that's a suburb of Dallas. We used Richardson Parks. Well, there's our rivals also used Richardson Park. They were the Richardson homeschool team. 
Boo, holy school. No. Uh, but they were our rivals. There's Christian school, homeschool. We knew some of them. They knew some of them. Sometimes we'd have a player from their group join our school, and sometimes we'd have a kid from our school go, I can't take this and have to go home and be marked. No. I'm just totally kidding you, homeschoolers. Anyways, uh, that's a joke for three people. But anyway, um, so we had the, they were our rivals. So we were playing a, a team from Fort Worth. Uh, uh, Temple Baptist from Fort Worth. I still remember this. We were playing from Fort Worth, and we showed up the same time we always did, and Richardson Homeschool was on the field about to start their game. Uh-uh. This is our field. And I walked over to the umpire, and I said, hey, we got a problem. I said, look, this is our field. This is St. Stephen's field. And the umpire looked at me and said, hey, this team is playing. I'm the umpire, and I have the authority to throw you out of here. Get off the field. really pre-mass cell phones, right? It's like 1997. So one of our parents had a flip phone, cell phone, so I get it. I called the school, I talked about it, so I looked directly at nay, 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 no, no, no. I got this all worked out. And he said, here, call the parks guy right here. Here's his personal line. So I called the parks guy. Parks guy looked at us and said, no, it's Canyon Creek's field. I don't know why they're there. They're, they've, got, they've messed up. They're supposed to be there tomorrow. They've screwed up on their schedule. It is your field. So I took that cell phone. Right in the middle of like a third strike call. You know, the first thing is I walked right over to that umpire and I said, hold on a second. And I said, I got the guy in charge of the park. If he says, this is our field, and they messed up, he's instructed me that I have the authority to tell you to get off my field. <laughs> and he told me if you don't, I'm instructed to call 911 and have you arrested. And that umpire, if he could have punched me, he would have. And I just watched him and I had to call him. There's some things said because you know homeschool parents are mean. <laughs> no, no, it was a fun way. We played them the next week, and it was one of the greatest rivalry games. We won eight to nine in a controversial golf. It was awesome. Listen, if Jesus is your king, he has that kind of faith. No, no, no. You, you want to do this? Get off that field. He gets to tell you what you drink. What you do, what you put in your mouth, who you date. You want to know if Jesus is your king, girls? If the hottest guy in school, the guy that, oh, he's so famous, he walks up and asks you out, and you go, you're not a believer following Jesus Christ, so you're not for me, so I'm going to have to say no. That's when you know Jesus is your king. Gentlemen, you want to know if Jesus is your king? If the hottest girl in school starts saying stuff like hi and smiling at you and touching your elbow and flirting with you, and you go, nay, nay, nay. No, 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 I like girls, but not you, because you're not a believer. I say, well, Pastor Steve, you only have one chance to go out with a Nathan Sheridan. <laughs> <laughs> but if he's not a believer, Gary, <laughs> walk away. You're here, you say, I have a chance to make a lot of money in a business deal. Yeah, but you're ripping people off. Jesus says don't. You say, Pastor Steve, I don't know if I should leave my wife. I'm going to tell you right now, if Jesus is your king and authority, he's going to say, no. Say, get out. You say, well, we're not happy. None of us are happy. If you want to be happy, don't get married. Marriage is not about happiness. It's about sacrifice. Marriage is about joy. Amen? Amen. Don't smart Mary next to me because we're the prettiest in the Somebody tell my wife I said that. Right, Ken? Ken's just looking at me like, what are you doing? Ken is the hardest person in the world to preach to. 
it, and I know he just stared at me thinking, he didn't take his medication. <laughs> Number two, I love him. Number two, if Jesus is my priest and king, he is the God of my life. He's just the God of my life. Uh, there's some, this is a theological moment here. There's a difference between Trinity and Trinityism. Trinity and Trinityism. I'll throw this up if you're interested. I've been studying this the last few weeks, just kind of why, because it's there. I don't know. You do silly things sometimes as a pastor. But the Trinity is this basic doctrine that God is three to one. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three are God. All three are equal. But yet all three have different jobs they have to do and different ways they do. They cannot be explained by any human reasoning. It cannot be. I mean, I can show you that I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm a uh, I'm a, a brother, I'm a dad. I mean, I'm all these things, but I'm the same person. That doesn't fully explain the Trinity. Trinitheism, that's basically what Muslims say about Christians. And Trinitheism, that all three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, are all separate gods. And they're working different. In fact, this is actually part of a group called Jesus Only, and that's a heresy and it's a cult. And they believe there was God the Father, and then there was Jesus was God, and now Jesus is the Holy Spirit, and there's only one. Listen. God the Father always existed, God the Son always existed, and God the Spirit always existed. In Genesis chapter 1, God said, let us make them, let us make man after our image. Who is the R? It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So listen, I've been studying this, and I've been trying to find the perfect example. It's not there. All I know is this. Jesus is God. And if he is my God, I will bend over backwards to serve him. I will do whatever he wants, and he gets to call all the shots. If he is my God, I will take my summer vacation and go on a missions trip. If he is my God, instead of going to see Mickey, I'll go to see some other people who need to hear about Jesus. Now, I'm not against Mickey. Anyways. You know what Disneyland is like? We went in August. Disneyland is like standing in line at the DMV. <laughs> if you go in the summer, do you know what Disney's like? Standing in line on the sun at the DMV. But anyway, look, if Jesus is your God, you get consumed with a passion of pleasing him. Which means serving God on a mission field, serving God in China, serving God, giving money to help missionaries, being part, like we're going to do this fall, of planting local New Testament churches. I have this crazy idea, and I hope it works. One of these days, we're going to do this fall. I'm going to ask 20 of you to not show up to church, and I'm going to pick the 20. Now, we have a church plant down in Crossing we've been working with, and we want to help partner him. And I'm hoping to get 20 of you to show up early, get on the bus, and go all the way down to Clarkson and be part of their church. And if you sit there and tell me, that Pastor, means i got to get up early, I really question if Jesus is your God. <laughs> Amen? And if you're doing a ministry, if you got something else, that's cool. But Pastor Steve, I'm not getting up early to serve Jesus. I'm not going to sacrifice to serve Jesus. You know, one time I had a lady, she got all mad at me at a church I used to pastor. Not this one, because you're good people. They were heathen. But she got all mad at me, and she came up to me, and she said, You will not believe this! I thought, oh, something bad happened. A visitor sat in my seat. You need to make an announcement that nobody sits in our seats. I said, Lady... This might be your last time here for what I'm going to say. But you understand something? Those aren't your seats. Those are God's seats. And I hope you're willing to sit in a different seat so somebody doesn't know the gospel will come to hear you. You know what the problem was? She had a religion, but she didn't know Jesus as her God. 
Is Jesus your priest? You're saved. Say amen. Amen. I don't say anything like this, but is Jesus your priest? I'm going to close with a little story. The story goes of a very 